In 2005, Stephanie Meyer's YA vampire romance fantasy Twilight kicked off a four-book series, a blockbuster movie franchise, and generally a pop culture phenomenon. No big deal. Unless you've been living under a rock for the last decade and a half, you probably get the gist of Twilight's plot. 17-year-old Bella Swan leaves her home in Phoenix, Arizona to move in with her father Charlie in the perpetually overcast town of Forks, Washington. Once an awkward loner, Bella is something of a celebrity in Forks. Basically, she can't keep the boys away, but there's only one she's interested in. His name is Edward Cullen. Pause for swoons around the world. Edward travels through Forks High School with his wildly attractive family and mysteriously disappears for days at a time. At first, Bella thinks that Edward hates her, but then he saves her from an oncoming van with his bare hands, and it's clear she was very wrong about that. A few more heroic feats later, the truth about Edward comes out. He's actually super in love with Bella. Oh, and he's a vampire, but the kind that doesn't drink human blood. While the scent of Bella's blood specifically drives him crazy, he and his family have been able to settle in forks because they've learned to rely on other animals for food. Bella's scrumptious smell puts Edward's self-control to the test, though. And so begins one long metaphor for abstinence. Bella is prone to clumsiness and accidents, and once she comes into the Cullen's orbit, she finds herself regularly at risk for bigger dangers too. Think a bloodthirsty tracker vampire who wants nothing more than to kill and eat her. Edward spends most of the book trying to protect her from herself and pretty much everything else. As the series continues, his protective behavior sets up one side of the Team Edward versus Team Jacob debate, which I obviously get into with this week's guest. Kelly Parker Smith is the owner and designer behind Hello World Paper Co., a company that sells and manufactures rubber stamps and laser engraved goodies. She is also the co-host of the Creative Biz Rebellion podcast, where she and Caroline Holm mentor other product-based business owners through a weekly show, courses, and accountability groups. On top of all of that, Kelly is also an illustrator and fabric designer for Sweet Bee Fabric Company. Her first collection just arrived in quilt shops. Obviously, Kelly can't sit still and enjoys doing all the things, but don't worry, she still sleeps unlike Edward Cullen. She lives outside St. Louis, Missouri with her husband, three boys, and their rescue kitten Katniss. And as you can probably tell from her pet's Hunger Games-inspired name, Kelly is a big fan of YA fiction. I'll include links to all of Kelly's projects and social media in the show notes for this episode so you can check out her awesome work. Are you ready to talk vampires, sex, and sexy vampires? Great, let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Kelly. Thank you so much for joining us on SSR. Hey, Allie. Thanks for having me. I'm very excited. I already told you this before we started recording, but I may or may not have been up until like way past my bedtime last night reading Twilight, which feels like the way you're supposed to read a book like this. A hundred percent. Not only was I in that same boat last week, but then I proceeded to binge watch all four movies oh, in the I'm span so, of I'm five so movies. Jealous. I'm sorry, all five movies in the span of a week. My son is 17. Okay. And so his girlfriend read the books when she was little. So I was like, okay, I have to reread Twilight. And she was like, oh my God, Team Edward love that. And so I was like, yeah. And I was like, well, now we're going to watch all the movies. And so we settled in and my seven-year-old was like, oh, I like this vampire movie. Yes. Well, and that's how Kelly became the coolest mom ever. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yep. Point one for Kelly, some brownie (laughs) points there. I hope I could help you get some mileage out of that. So let's talk about Twilight. Why did you want to reread this? Had you read these before? Did you read them with your kids? Like, what's your history with these books? It was not a book series that was out when I was a kid or a teenager even. Right. Uh, I was a teacher at the time when the books came out, and me and all my teacher friends read them, and we were all obsessed. And it was just one of those things that, you know, made you fall back in love with the young adult books. I was an elementary teacher, so I taught third grade super into like picture books and I have like a children's book collection. And then, you know, I started reading all these books again as an adult and I was like, oh my God, they're even better the second time. 
Yeah. Uh, as a kid, I was an avid reader. I mean, there are pictures of me when I was three years old with a pile of books next to my bed, passed out. And the same when I was a teenager, I read, oh my God, Christopher Pike, Sweet Valley High. Like, I mean, just all of it. Yeah. And so, yeah. And it was just like that nostalgia. I was in my early 30s and they came out and we all read them. And it was like, I don't know, it just took you back to middle school. It was just amazing. I feel the same. I felt the same revisiting the book. I was sort of at that perfect sweet spot when the books came out. So Twilight, which is the first book in the series, came out in 2005. Um, and I was in high school when they came out. So I read them as they came out and was like eating them up along with all my friends. My stepmom got really yeah. into them. And I remember one summer when we were just like reading them together on the beach and it was super fun. Definitely was psyched to see the movies and so in love with Robert Pattinson because how can you not be? Who isn't God? And when he sparkles, it's just over. Oh, it is over. I need to watch the movies. Like now that I have... Oh, you do because... I know this is about the book, okay? I know that, but I have to say one thing about the movies for a second. Yeah. So watching them again, the first one is so cheesy. Because, you know, like in the beginning of the movie, he's trying super hard not to eat her, Yeah, right? I mean, of and course, so, as one does. And in the movie, you can see, like, he's Robert Pattinson's really trying to portray this, like, internal struggle with the bloodthirst, you know? And But he's, like, super cheesy with it. Like, his eyes get really big and his nostrils flare and... I don't know. We were just like dying. Like it was almost cringeworthy, but you love it so much. <laughs> Which I have to say, like, is a great lead into the conversation about the book because I don't know about you, but I feel like that's a pretty good way to sum up how I felt about a lot of this book on the reread. Um, cringeworthy, but like you can't help but love it. Exactly right. Exactly. Jumping back into the book for this reread again, thank you so much for being on the podcast and for yeah. picking this book back up with me. What was that experience like? Those first few pages, did it bring you back to the first time you read them? Did you have a different experience? Like, what did you think of those first few pages, those first few chapters? The first few chapters totally took me back. And I was like, what took me so long to reread these books? Yeah. You know, like, and now I'm, I'm reading New Moon now, and then I'm going to, I'm going to keep going. So until I'm done. The one of my favorite book series of all time, I don't care, cheesy not, I don't care. That's just the way I am. Yeah. Uh, I just absolutely love it for fun. But I started rereading and I was like, oh, I could feel the cold again of her moving to Forks and, you know, and Charlie and her relationship. Just I just love it. And I loved seeing it from the beginning again, because um, at the end of the series, their relationship changes. And so I loved seeing that from the beginning and picking all that back up again. My favorite relationship, I mean, besides obviously Edward and Bella is Bella and her dad. I love that as well. I think I'm a child of divorce too. And so I, I think just right. this whole notion of her having this experience of almost having like a second chance at living with her dad mm -hmm. full time and her taking that on and like making the decision to do that. I love that. That was very appealing to me. And I don't really know anybody who got to do that as a kid. Like you sort right. of, you live with the parent that you started living with. Maybe you do weekends with the other parent, but this idea of you like turning your life on its head and getting to know the other parent in a new way I yeah. think that's just like a cool concept to a kid who has been in that situation before. And her dad yes. is so, he's such a dad. I mean, he's like yeah. such a classic dad. Yes. He definitely makes some like bad dad jokes, but he's also the chief of police. And I think like that's an important thing. Like if we're going to talk about literary functions, like yes. he functions sort of as like the know-it-all of the town, which eliminates the protector. The need. Yeah, the protector. Like it eliminates yeah. the need for the author to have to do a ton of other heavy lifting in terms of like introducing characters because right. he already knows everyone. That was really good. And I, I'm a child of divorce too. And how brave is she? Yeah. You know, to move that far away, total not just the climate, because you know she doesn't like to be cold, but not just the climate, but everything. Mm. You know, to move that far away and live with, you know, like you said, like your parent that you're she barely sees. She doesn't see him on the weekends or not, you know, because they live so far away. And so that was just like so powerful to me. And then also like with him being the protector of the town, I found that interesting later when we realized what Bella's gifts are. I hadn't even thought about that, but I think she is so brave and she shows mm -hmm. herself to be brave at certain points in the book. I think something that I struggled with, and I'm sure we'll talk about this more, is like, I feel like we almost get mixed messages about Bella. Like there are times when she right. presents as kind of weak and she is insecure for most of the book, which I think most kids can relate to. So I understand yeah. that part of it. But I think in some ways, Edward prefers her to be this like damsel in distress weak sure. girl but delicate. she's super yeah. yeah delicate I think she uses the word delicate there's one conversation I remember where she was like I'm not as delicate as you think and he's like aren't you 
but right. she's not. So I think like he wants her to present as really delicate, but she is super brave. Like you said, like she's taking this adventure. She's going to live with her dad. She has a lot of hard conversations with her parents that I certainly never would have had as a kid and probably still wouldn't have. Jumping to the end of the book, she, in order to like save herself and save Edward, puts herself in a situation of having to tell her dad that she like wants to leave Forks. And just the thought of that conversation as a child of divorce, like made my stomach turn a little bit. But then that also like shows her maturity level as well. Mm. So, you know, as further in the books and, you know, she turns 18 and then, you know, they get married and all all that stuff, you know, she has to be presented as a, a mature teenager. Mm. for all of these things to end up happening to her and it be believable. So I think that conversation at the end of the book made it like I'm putting his safety first. You know, even if we don't have a relationship anymore, even if he doesn't talk to me anymore, he'll be safe. And so I think that really showed her maturity, her bravery, and just how, again, protective. That's just her nature. She definitely is mature and maybe that's sort of the distinction. Like she's mature and insecure and it is kind of cool that like those two. And and clumsy. (laughs) Yeah. And it's cool that like all of those characteristics can exist. Like she can still be mature. What struck me at the beginning Mm -hmm. of the book was like she shows up there and I know this is the experience of a lot of kids. This was not my personal experience where she shows up and is basically like, okay, like I'm going to start cooking the meals. I have Mm -hmm. my Mm -hmm. own finances squared away. Like, oh, you're going to buy me a car? That blows my mind. I never would have expected that. Like she's extremely independent and mature in a lot of ways. And I think that was part of why I was confused at moments throughout the book where I was like, Edward, like give the girl some space. She knows what she's doing. (laughs) But, but the crazy thing is like, I'm a really independent person. My husband knows this. My kids know this. Like I'm very independent. But at the same time, I think what, you know, attracted me so much to him Mm. was the fact that he was almost like hovering and just like she was this delicate flower. He just wanted to protect her. And, you know, you want someone to feel like that about you. Not that you can't do anything, but that they want to take care of you so much so that they're like, okay, don't step there. Don't do that. You know what I mean? It would be very annoying. But that's just, again, I think it was just showing throughout the whole book, like how much he was just completely in love with her, you know, from the beginning. Yeah, he really was. They fall for each other very fast, which I also think is cool. Like, so often in YA and even in like teen movies it's like one person falls really quickly and the whole plot is about the other person catching up and one thing I liked about this book was like you kind of skipped through a lot of that obviously there are a few chapters where Edward was avoiding her because we find out later he's like trying not to eat her you Mm -hmm. know obviously right um (laughs) right but you're you kind of get to skip that whole like cat and mouse game of like do you like me I don't know do I like you like yeah they're just in love well because he's a hundred and 50 something years old or whatever he knows what he wants yeah (laughs) he's like he knows what he's looking for that was refreshing I feel like she cut out a lot of that kind of annoying typical teen angst about relationships so instead you got to explore like okay what's actually going to happen once they do love each other and I I don't think that happens as often in a YA book as it could so um I definitely appreciated that we've been talking a little bit about the other books And I was noticing, and I wonder if you agree, like having read all of the books, having seen, I think most of the movies, I may not have seen like the last one or two. It's hard. It's hard to separate from the rest of the series, right? It is. They all just kind of like, because they all just kind of like meld together. It's like hard to be like, okay, well that happened in this book and that happened in this book because their story just, I don't know about you, but I just like ate it up. Yeah. You know, and I just kept going. So yeah, no, I totally get that. It's hard to distinguish. Because, again, the relationship was just so bam, like, right away. Yeah, and I think I forgot that we don't really get a lot of Jacob until the second book. And I kept waiting. I was, like, so excited to have, like, the Team Edward, Team Jacob conversation. And I think we should have it because how could we not? Obviously, we're going to have it. We have to have it. I mean, what's a Gilmore Girls conversation without Team Jess versus Team Logan versus Uh, Team Dean? Team Jess. Team Jess. Same. Okay. Same. Glad we agree on that. So we obviously have to do Team Jacob, Team Edward for this book. But I was sort of like, I found myself kind of thrown for a loop because I was waiting for all of that Jacob story to come into play. And I didn't realize that we don't get that at all until the second book. Yeah. Yeah. He just like shows up randomly, but almost as like a minor character. Yeah. And I forgot that he was younger. Like he was almost kind of this like dorky, like hanger on kid that was just at a party. And then in book two, he's like this hot werewolf guy. Well, we'll discuss that later. I don't well, know if I'd say hot. <laughs> well, I think I might know which side of the debate you're going to come down on. 
<laughs> and that's fine. All opinions are welcome here. Of that's course. right. That's right. Of course. <laughs> I think we've talked about forks. Like you mentioned it already. Forks yeah. as a setting is so critical in this book. It's almost like a character in and of itself, which I think is cool. Like the book doesn't exist without this very specific setting, don't you think? Totally agree. I just feel like it was the perfect place for this to happen. I don't know why. I don't know if it's because it's like cool and mysterious and, you know, rainy and, you know, in the history of vampire lore, the whole like sun situation. I love how they addressed that, you know, because they were outside all day. But if if it was like overcast and they could be seen in front of people, but if the sun was out, then they sparkled like diamonds like I just loved that and I love that so they had to live in this place where it was cloudy all the time so they could interact with other people and fit in yeah and I guess as a writer that gave her the freedom to let the Cullens have a life that they wouldn't have had really anywhere else so she could kind of give them freedom that they wouldn't have had in any other kind of setting so I stepping back as a writer now as an adult um (laughs) I was able to realize like oh okay like that was a really smart move on her part because she has like total literary freedom except you know obviously on the days that it's sunny but she's able to figure that out they go camping yeah I'm doing that in quotes they go camping or they go hiking and I think that was a really smart move I will say because I did some research as usual on the book so the author Stephanie Meyer pitched this to 14 agents before it was purchased which I don't think is unheard of Um, Mm -hmm. as a lot of listeners know I have some background in the publishing industry and it's really hard to sell a book so I don't think that's unheard of she was able to strike a deal for $750,000 for it she asked for a million she got $750,000 I'd say that's still pretty good I'd say good yes within a month of public the book was number five on the New York Times bestseller list. And shortly after that, it hit number one. That was 2005. And then three years later, when the movie came out, it was again, like top of the charts along with New Moon. So for a first time author, she really hit the yeah. jackpot on this. And I was thinking a lot about like, I love this story. I think it's like a really fun read. It's really refreshing, especially for this podcast to read something that's like just fun and not... Yeah meant to be like prescriptive or not meant to teach a lesson. So I really enjoyed that. But I think most people would agree, like the writing is not great. I mean, it's good. Sure. It's serviceable. A lot of people would say the same thing, honestly, about Harry Potter. I'm wondering what you think about like, luck is a hard word. I don't want to use the word luck, but I do think there's something to the fact that this book must have come out at the right time. It must have had the right marketing. It must have, it hit a sweet spot at the right moment. Because how many other like genre books like this have come out that have not achieved this kind of success and this just went gangbusters it's crazy it did and let me tell you i i'm a huge fan of vampire books in general it's Mm -hmm. like one of my tops vampires fairies werewolves you know and i've read a lot of vampire books and there are some that are way better the writing was not great however the story just went out on its own and i think especially teenage girls you know college age I mean, I read it as a 30-something, but I'm one of those weird people who likes things that seven-year-olds like, so whatever. Same. I mean, I have a whole podcast um, about it, so I totally get it. Uh, Yeah. And I think it just let you escape to like this small little town and where there was this gorgeous man who was completely in love with you because we all pictured ourselves as Bella, obviously. And so everyone wants that. You know, you want that. You want to be loved that hard. And so I think people just really connected with the story and how she was just like an ordinary girl. You know, she wasn't this like beautiful, you know, homecoming queen, fancy pants, silver spoon in her mouth girl. She was regular. And so I think him falling in love with a regular girl, it's kind of an old storyline, but people eat it up every single time. They just eat it up. Well, it's a classic for a reason. People always say, like, cliches are cliches for a reason. (laughs) So I don't necessarily take issue with anything being a cliche. And I think, like they always say, there's there's a limited number of stories out there in the world about it's it's about how you tell them and there are infinite number of ways to tell them and clearly Stephanie Meyer killed it with the way that she told this story and it was the right time I mean 2005 I don't know if there were other franchises like this at that time that were speaking to young girls in this way so it was great that the timing was such that it was and obviously the movie deal helped and Robert Pattinson looking the way he does I'm sure helped oh yeah yeah and there was a lot of backlash though Um, as a teacher, I heard a lot of it, you know, from parents, uh, you know, Hey, you know, have you read this twilight book? Is it okay if my teenager reads this twilight book? Uh, 
the backlash was there's a girl and she's dating a vampire and all she wants is a vampire to change her into a vampire and have sex with her. Yep. You know, and that was like a big thing as a teacher. And I had to explain to people like, yeah, they're in love. And yes, she does have these feelings. But guess what? He's a hundred something year old vampire who is telling her, no, we're going to wait. No, we're going to do it this way. You know, I don't, I didn't like tell them like, cause he wants to drink her, <laughs> you know, right. there were, you know, underlying good lessons for teenagers at the time. You know, I thought that that whole storyline of her, you know, wanting it and him always saying like, no, 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 we're going to wait. We're going to wait. We're going to wait. This is the way I am. I'm old fashioned. I wait till I'm married, you know, all that stuff. That was good for teenage girls at the time. So I thought that was, as a teacher, I saw that as a positive. Yeah, I mean, I think it's impossible to talk about this book without going into some of that controversy because just to do a quick Twilight search online, like there's tons of articles about it. So it's important that we touch on it. And I agree. I think for parents and teachers, more specifically parents, I think for parents who want to teach their children in this particular way about sex, for parents who want this to be the perspective through which their children see sex Mm -hmm. and learn about sex, like packaging it this way is really great and refreshing. It's like, here's sort of a creative way to teach kids that it's okay to wait till you're married and it can be worth waiting for if that's the route you want to go. And I think that that's really an awesome way to share that kind of a story. I think the other side, obviously, and I'm sure you've heard this, is that it feels so heavy handed that people who don't necessarily ascribe to that form of sex ed or who don't want their kids to read about something that feels like so heavily loaded with sex, you know, that's where the counterpoint is. And it was all the way up through 2010, it's been on the ALA's top 10 list of most frequently challenged books for the year. So it's still like being discussed in that way years Mm -hmm. after it was published. Oh yeah. And what I always told parents was, you know, read it together, have a conversation. You read it first, you know, you read it first, decide if you want them to read it, but this is the deal. They're going to read about things. They're going to talk about things and they're, you know, on their own. So do you want to know what they're reading? So read it first and then talk with them about it. Whenever parents would come to me for book suggestions and they were, itch, you know, iffy on what they were going to have their kids read, at, read it first. You can, you can do that. You're allowed to, it doesn't matter if it came out of the kids section, read it so and then have a conversation I wonder too if part of it is that when this book first came out it was squarely like young adult it was marketed to teens and then it's almost like once something becomes a movie it's like you the horse is out of the stable and kids that are younger like 10 Mm -hmm. 12 13 15 year old kids want to read the book because they're seeing the movie out there and so I wonder if that's part of it too where it was like it seemed like it was appropriate or the parents were more comfortable with it for their 16 17 8 year olds and then as soon as it sure. became this pop culture phenomenon, it, it felt like it was yeah. taking over kids that were much younger. Yeah, I agree with that. But again, as, as a parent, you know, you just got to have those conversations. Oh, you want to read this book? Well, let me read it first and then we'll have a talk about it. You know, or go online. There's tons of great places to go, and but it's all in context. It's almost like you got to read the book to see. You can't just pull a quote out and be like, oh, well, this book says this sentence. And, you know, you have no idea what the rest of the book is talking about. So I think that's what happens in these situations where, you know, there's like scandal around books and all that. I think some people just don't even read it. They just assume or listen to what someone else said and take it as fact and go with it. Yeah, there's definitely room for a larger conversation to be had here, as with, I would say, every book. Um, so read it before you oh, assume. Yeah, for sure. The only thing that I would say I took issue with, um, with respect to like that part of their relationship, because I, th- I agree, I think it's great to have a book like this that's o- that opens up the conversation Let's kids read about mm-hmm. this stuff from like a new perspective. I just think there were a lot of mixed messages for Bella from Edward. So much of what was happening between them was her fault. And again, I understand that that's the plot of the story. Like the story doesn't exist without Bella's scent being the thing that drives Edward crazy and right. puts him in danger of like turning into this monster. I understand that that's like kind of the core of the story. But I guess for me, because it is so heavily steeped in this like sex metaphor it just kind of bothered me that I felt like there were so many points throughout the story where she was like oh sorry like totally my bad like sorry that I tempted yeah. you and I do think for me that was <laughs> sorry one that thing. I smell delicious yeah like sorry for being a woman that's like cute like sorry yeah. that I almost turned you into a monster and <laughs> again maybe that's my like 20 year old Brooklyn feminist woman person talking but yeah, that bugs me 
that bugged right. me. Yeah, she shouldn't be apologizing for the way she smelled. Right. She she spent a lot of the book apologizing, and I've I've yeah. read a lot of articles over, over the last few years about like women are brought up to like apologize more, and so maybe I was noticing it more reading sure. it. But she was making a lot of apologies, and often he would be like, "No, it's not your fault." But I just wish she'd said sorry a few less times, and Agreed. then I think it would have bugged me less. Yes, I completely agree. Yeah, she did apologize a lot. Now that you bring it up. <laughs> And I think she, that changes throughout the series, though. Like, I feel like she's able to let some of that go in the later books. Yeah, I think towards the end, she really comes into her own. I mean, we have to remember she was only 17, you know, yeah. when the series starts. So I think she really does come into her own at the end. And, I mean, she's completely changed physically, mentally, emotionally. Again, I think that's why people connected with her so much, though. She was awkward. She was insecure. She was always like, oh, I'm sorry. Oh, uh, you know, yes. oh, you're so beautiful and sparkly and I'm so awkward. And uh, right. I, I don't, we all feel like that. You know, we all feel like she felt like she was the reacher in the relationship and she didn't realize that he felt the same way. You know, like he felt that she was just perfect and wonderful and but she didn't see it because she was so insecure with herself. And we've all been there in some yeah sense whether it's exactly that way but everybody has felt insecure and sort of like they didn't measure up in a situation and then they found out that they totally do and so that's like a cool story to read about the other thing I loved about her storyline and I related to it a little bit was that she came from a place where like no one noticed her and then all of a sudden she like can't stop getting hit on by men and to be clear that wasn't my experience that made it sound (laughs) like I had that experience and I did not I did not but I did love that and I think that's just like a funny high school thing where like sometimes you blend in and then sometimes sort of without having any control of it like you feel like people won't leave you alone yeah she was like a little mini celebrity at her high school yeah, like what happened? And that sort of sense of being like, I'm a fish out of water. I don't know how to interact with people this way. I, I related to kind of the fact that she like felt so much more awkward than she really was. Yes, because no one else really saw it. I think very few people are actually as awkward as they yeah. think that they are. And I feel like this author kind of put a point on that really well. I found a quote describing Bella. It says, I didn't relate well to people my age. Maybe the truth was that I didn't relate well to people, period. Even my mother who I was closer to than anyone else on the planet was ever in harmony with me, never exactly on the same page. Sometimes I wondered if I was seeing the same things through my eyes that the rest of the world was seeing through theirs. Maybe there was a glitch in my brain, which in some ways is foreshadowing for like Edward not being able to read her brain the way that he can Mm -hmm. others. But that quote, I feel like is so much a part of why people related to Bella so much and why I related to her. Yeah, I completely agree. It was like, because when you're reading that, you're thinking, yes, I feel that same way. I feel like I'm kind of walking around my life and I there's nowhere for me to really fit. Oh, maybe I would fit in the vampire life. Yeah. <laughs> maybe so I just right. need to meet a hot vampire. Yes, yes. And, you know, that doesn't really exist. So that's why this book is so fun. Well, and I also think the sense that, like, you fall into this group of people. Like, so she meets these new friends. There's Mike and Lauren. Jessica. Jessica. Yeah. You meet these people that are nice but like you don't really like them that much like and everybody in high school has that where like you everybody has a friend that they don't really like yes in high school which sounds terrible but it's true and it's kind of the way of the world when you're a teen is like you attach yourselves to people and you kind of stick together and you eat lunch together but like you're not really sure why you're friends yeah and that was so what her relationship with them was like yeah, they, they completely started fading after she really, you know, got into the Cullen family. Then it was like, oh, right, I have other people that I used to sit and eat lunch with and hang out with. Maybe I should go to the mall. You know? Right, like maybe I should go help them pick out dresses for the dance. Yeah, yeah. It was clear that she didn't really have any... I think that added more to her whole, in, you know, her whole awkward insecurities. You know, she didn't really have any close friends who were human. Yeah, and, to, and she internalized that as like, oh, that must mean that I don't, I can't right. relate to other humans. Yeah. She didn't even have anyone from Arizona that she was friends with. You yeah. Know, she never like emailed anyone or said like, oh, my old friend Judy called or nothing, nothing. It's true. When she talks about leaving Phoenix, like she was sad to leave her mom and it seems like she misses the weather, but you don't hear a lot from her about it. anything else. Not at all. It's like she, it's like she just lifted out of that city and no one even knows she's gone. Yeah. That's, I mean, if that's true, that I feel very sad for her. I know. That's why I said so brave of her to move. Yeah. Yeah. So you've seen the movie very recently. You said you were watching yeah. very recently. And I'm I'm wondering, as we talk more about Bella, I'm wondering if part of, like, why I struggled to relate to her more 
reading it this time was because now I can't I can't help but think about right. Kristen Stewart and right. as iconic as she is in this part and as great as she is in the movie I think for me Kristen Stewart is so emo in this movie like that's the only word that I can uh-huh. use and in the book like sure. I don't know that I I read her as awkward I read her as a little bit like uncomfortable but I don't read her as maybe as dark as Kristen Stewart portrays right. her I read her in the book more like nerdy yeah. like just quiet you know not kind of almost like like what's the character in Fifty Shades of Grey oh um Anast- oh. Anas I never read the books either I saw the movie I think uh-huh. Anastasia Maybe. Sure. But they they kind of reminded me of each other. Like when I saw the meal, I was like, oh, it's like an adult Bella. Yeah. You know, just more quiet and like nerdy, you know. More quirky, I feel like, than Kristen Stewart played her. And again, I haven't seen the movie in a while, so correct me if I'm wrong. But I just, I think they they really went more dark with her in the movies and in the book. Mm -hmm. So I think it was hard for me to read her clearly in the book because I was picturing her as darker and a little bit maybe more negative. In the movie, it's more like loner feeling, you know, like I, you know, she's more like, yeah, like emo, loner, darker. I think also the movies, though, it casts a dark shadow over the whole movie. Yes, I know Forks is cloudy, but the whole, all the movies are just very shadowy, if that makes sense. Like, I don't know if they put a big filter over the whole thing or what. Yeah, (laughs) it is. all very dark. I remember it being very beautiful. Like the movie it's is very pretty, very atmospheric. But yeah, that's true. It just it seems like the book is almost a little bit more like classic high school vibes, where you have yeah. like your geeks and your nerds, and Bella mm-hmm. is like this quirky, cute, nerdy girl, but not emo and not super awkward. More awkward in her head than she actually is. And then in the movie, it's like everybody's dark. Everyone is absolutely. Everyone is. They're all dark and freezing. Yeah, all the time. All the time. <laughs> all the time. Let's talk more about the Cullens because again, I think in the movie we get a stronger sense of them over the course of like the whole franchise, but Mm -hmm. they're such a part of this book. And I would say my favorite part of the book is like meeting the Cullens and learning more about them. And I love them in the movie in particular. Like I just think the way they cast that is so perfect. perfect. So the story behind this family is really cool because basically Carlisle, who's the dad and is like 300 plus years old, has like hand selected each of his family members by turning them into vampires. And so I didn't realize you were such a fan of vampire pop yes. culture. So like how yes. does that part of the story fit in with other vampire stories that you've read? It's actually pretty consistent where there's, you know, a patriarch or a matriarch of a vampire clan and they have turned all their children, quote unquote, into vampires. So uh, most vampire books where there's like, you know, you have your new mother or your new father, you know, you have your biological, your old life before you died. And now you are now in this new family. They share last names. They you know, um, they pass on things to them. They've lived for so long. They've lost money. Always the same, or it seems to be always the same. But, but if a vampire turns another person into a vampire, that is usually their child or their sire. They call them a sire as well. Are vampires always this sexy and like beautiful? Yes. They yes. are? Okay. Yes. <laughs> if something happens in your biological makeup when you become a vampire and your hair is perfectly thick, shiny, and lustrous, and your skin is perfect, and you're super strong, and yeah, everybody's pretty much perfect as a vampire. Mm-hmm. I had no idea because in my head, vampires are like so spooky and scary and like more Halloween. So I was like, oh, the vampire trope is being turned on its head, but <laughs> apparently not. I'm just uneducated in the vampire space. <laughs> Well, I mean, think about, like, um, other movies, like, what was that Tom Cruise interview with a vampire? Like, everyone's very, like, chiseled and perfect, and, you know, it's almost like you are captured in stone. Mm. You know, your body is cold and hard. You have to make sure that you remember human interaction and emotions and gestures and all of that stuff, because now your body is just a killing machine. Mm. And so it's very hard and cold and fast, and I read all the vampires. <laughs> well, then you are an even more perfect person to talk about Twilight than I realized. Yeah, it was really hard for me to decide what we were going to talk about, but yes, it won out. Mm-hmm. This seems That's like the sure. right choice. Bella cannot even read Jane Austen without thinking about him. And in the next book, he leaves her for a while and she can't even function. Oh, yeah. yeah. Like, cannot function. Like, months pass and she's just a ghost of a shell of a human being. Yeah, I mean, she That's really does find herself extremely affected by him and 
whether his presence or his absence, she's completely ruled by Edward. And I think that is like, as a teen, that's like very romantic. And it's like nice to think about that. I think now as an adult, it's kind of funny, but. Oh, as an adult, you're like, oh my God, what a horrible codependent relationship these two are in. (laughs) You know what I mean? They literally cannot live without each other, which is super romantic. But at the same time, you just want to like smack them, like wake up. Yeah. (laughs) You're okay. Yeah. Everybody's fine. And sometimes when my husband's out, I'm like, I'm going to watch Bravo and order Chinese food. And that's fine. And I'm not going to say that I love it, but but I'm not going to say I hate it either. That's right. That's right. And like when my husband's like, I'm going to take, we have three boys. If he's like, I'm going to take Henry to wherever. I'm like, oh, oh, okay. I'll miss you guys. And then I'm like, oh, what can I do alone? (laughs) Bella doesn't think like that. Okay. No. Edward does not think like that. Not at all. And his family is super psyched because, as you said, Edward's like 180 years old and they're like, we're just happy to see him happy, which is kind of hilarious because that's such like what a family would say. But this is like such a different context. And I think it's like funny. uh, Oh, yeah. They apparently watched him suffer for decades pining for this woman that he doesn't even know yet. You know what I mean? It is true in other vampire books, too, that vampires kind of like mate with like one person and that's it. Oh, hmm. you know, uh, yeah. So, and also fairies as well. I feel silly. I'm like this YA, like, you know, fantasy expert over here. But yeah, um, fairies, vampires, werewolves, they all kind of mate for life. So once they find that person, that's it. It's almost like the psychotic behavior, like overtakes them, animal instinct, whatever it is. It's the same in many vampire books that I've read that complete obsession with each other. Well, and the cool thing about the Cullens and the thing that allows Edward to finally meet Bella because he's living in Forks full time is that they have made the unique decision not to indulge in human blood. Mm -hmm. Um, They hunt animals instead, which is what's unique about them and why they've been able to settle and not act like nomads, which I guess is what most vampires do. So yeah, they live in this beautiful house. Carlisle is a surgeon, like a hot young surgeon. (laughs) Yes. One thing that made me laugh just thinking about the logistics, and again, I get that this is a book and it, it doesn't matter, but it just made me laugh thinking about the fact that like they're settling in this place and these kids are just going to continue to enroll in high school over and over and over again. Over and over. They'll graduate let everyone die who remembers who they are, and then they'll go to high school again. Yeah, I guess the administration just hasn't picked up on it yet. No, no, I guess not. Well, the administ- most of them are dead by the time they enroll again, so maybe they go in and destroy the papers. Yeah, you know? that's true. You like can take a break for a couple decades and then come back and like redo yeah. senior year, redo senior year. And, of course, by yeah. now, Edward is like so smart because he's done all of this so many times before. That's the beauty of being a vampire. That's why I love it so much. Like You can stay up all—you don't have to sleep. So you can learn so many different skills, so many different things. Don't even talk about compound interest. You put some money in the bank, it's, you know, 200 years ago, you've got millions of dollars. That's why they all have money. Yeah, he just keeps going over and over and over again. He's probably, that's why he can get everything correct so quickly. Just like limitless potential is kind of like the vibe overall with these vampires. Yeah, that's what's so attractive about it. Like, who wouldn't want to learn and know and do everything but then you have to look at the flip side like I'd be bored also pretty quickly you know like oh I've read that book a hundred times or I've done this thing this many times or how many times can I rearrange my room right exactly <laughs> I think I've maxed out all the feng shui in this yeah. house yeah <laughs> is Edward your favorite Colin or do you have somebody else that you prefer in the family I have opinions about all of them actually but um yes Edward is my favorite okay. I think just because, you know, obviously Edward. But I also really like the girls, Rosalie and Alice Mm -hmm. and Esme. I really like them. Um, I mean, I really like Jasper, but sometimes throughout the book, I just just have to laugh at Jasper. Um, He's just such a hot mess. I I still really like him. And Emmett, you know, he's just a big jock, but a softie. You got to have an Emmett to do the heavy lifting. Yeah, that's right. That's right. And Carlisle, you know, he's just the dad that everybody would love to have. He's got, you know, it all, and he loves everybody and would do anything for him. And his family is first, all of that stuff. 
and I think they just, have good values as a family. They do, and I think just the idea that like he's chosen them is really cool to think about. Yeah. Like, can you imagine being a part of a family that the patriarch had actually like saved everybody's life and brought you together in such an intentional mm-hmm. way? Obviously, we all love our parents, even though that's not how they became our parents. But, like, that's kind right. of a cool, like, mind game to play with yourself about, like, what would it feel like to live in that kind of a household that had come together in that way? They're all so close. They've all been through so much. I mean, living with people for decades upon decades. Can mm. you even imagine? No, that's crazy. How well you would know somebody? You would be able to anticipate almost every move they had. You would have, like, Alice's powers just in general. You know, you would be able to know almost every move someone's going to make you know them so well yeah and I think that's almost where you know you mentioned like the boredom factor like it's so great but I wonder I'm sure there are parts of it where they're like we'd really love to bring in a new sibling like we really need somebody new and I think that's probably part of in addition to them being excited that Edward is happy with Bella I bet Alice for example who's like really spunky and social she's probably super psyched that like somebody new is potentially coming into the family to shake things up a little bit because it's a lot of time with the same people yeah and when you know Bella comes in and she's someone new it's you know you get to hear her stories and you know learn her quirks and all that stuff so yeah it would be very refreshing to have someone new especially you know it's even you know in your own family my cousin just had a baby and we're like oh baby Emma you know, we're all like, oh, give it the baby. It spices it up. It's refreshing. And it, you know your family is going to continue. So that's always good, too. The kind of interesting thing about, like, the highest action part of this book is that it starts in what seems almost like a silly way, right? Like, Edward's like, we're going to uh-huh. go play baseball, which to me, I'm like, okay, yeah. we can skim through this. Like, this sounds really boring. And like, oh, hilarious. You guys can play baseball because it's thundering. And so you're so strong yeah. that it'll be loud, but nobody will know. And that initially seems mm-hmm sort of like a gimmick more than anything and then all of a sudden these other vampires like wander through the game and this like last round of action kicks up and and I forgot in the time since I read this book I was like I forgot that that started all of this like that's the thing that kicked off this like very scary last section yeah because they they get a whiff of the good stuff I mean Bella like like, oh you've got a human over there Oof, and the good smelling one Fella, she's got a smell. <laughs> <laughs> like it's a, yeah, it's a mean, good problem know, to have. Side note, my son thinks I smell really good. He's seven. <laughs> and I, I, he reminds me of Edward sometimes. He's just like, oh, you smell so good. <laughs> okay, creepo. And he like wants to be around me all the time. So it's like, it's like a little child. But he's always like, yeah, you smell good. Anyway, but yeah, when they're playing baseball and the breeze goes and they get a whiff of her, it's over. It is just over, and Edward knows it, yeah. and he freaks out. For the first time in the whole book, I was like, your drive to protect her is finally warranted. I'm like, I'm yes. finally not annoyed with you being, like, constantly on top of her, trying to watch her every move. Now, right. I'm really psyched oh. that you're taking care of her. Now, you get her out of here, and you put her in a bubble. Go. Yeah, so, do your job. They barely got out of there, and then it was over, and then James was tracking her, and that was it. Yeah, and James, like, basically, like, pretends that he has Bella's mom hostage, and we find out later that he's just, like, playing a recording of her mom's voice. But as we mentioned before, Bella lies to her dad and says that, like, she wants to leave Forks, and she uses the same sentence that her mom used when she left Mm -hmm. the dad years before, which, going back to our earlier conversation as a child of divorce, I'm like, ugh, that's so heartbreaking. Oh, yeah. That's cutting deep. Really brutal. And so she leaves works, goes back to Phoenix with Alice and Jasper protecting her, and the Cullens are able to kill James once they figure out what's really going on, but not before Bella sustains her share of injuries. And the kind of, like, big moment with Edward is that he's finally able to learn to control himself because he has to suck James's vampire venom out of Bella's blood. And in order to do that, he obviously, like, can't eat her. He has to stop right. before her heart stops. Otherwise, it's over. But, yeah, and it's really hard for him. And, and back to the movie because it's the visual I have. I mean, it is like... It's like sucking the living life out of her. But yeah, he does he does stop with help of Carlisle. Carlisle's like, You will stop. You love her. You can do this. You've got to save her. And so he does and then she wakes up in the hospital and he hasn't left her side. Luckily her clumsiness is a great way to explain why she's in the hospital. That is the whole reason we had to make her clumsy in this book. So that in the end she can justify getting the 
crazy silvery bite mark on her hand and breaking bones and everything because she fell down the steps apparently yeah I felt like Bella was like validated in the end because the whole time I was like I feel like we're going a little bit over the top with her clumsiness and now I'm like okay good like there was a reason for it There's a reason why she was there, so clumsy. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Maybe I missed this, but was there a reason why it had to be Edward to, like, suck the venom out of her blood? Was it because, like, he loved her? Or, or was it that just was, like, what they decided? Was there a reason for that? I think that, and I don't I don't know the exact reason, but in my mind it was, like, because she was his quote-unquote mate. Mm. And in other vampire books and vampire lore, if another mate or another person, another man, another woman, whatever, sucks of someone's blood, they're kind of connected. Mm-hmm. And so I think Edward had to do it because if Carlisle would have done it or Alice would have done it or whatever, then they would have another connection with her. Okay. And vampires are like very territorial. That's just my like impression of it. I don't right. think they ever like talk about it or discuss it. But vampires are very like territorial and so it was it's Edward's Bella, so he has to take care of her. Was kinda like my take on it. That makes sense. And I figured it was like something along those lines, but I also was like, oh, and all of a sudden now he's sucking the vent. Okay, great. On it. Okay. Keeping up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> well, and then, you know, if he lost control or whatever, then, you know, Carlisle has more control than him. Mm-hmm. So maybe that was more the thing too. Like Carlisle was going to oversee the situation. Like you're going to do this, but I'm going to be here in case you need help or whatever, but this is your person. So you need to be the one that that does it right well and this of course kicks off the whole conversation which continues then into the other books about yeah will he or won't he turn her into a vampire and i think most people who have been exposed to any sort of pop culture over the last 15 years know that bella does become a vampire eventually but it does Mm -hmm. not happen in this book no it does not not for a while is it's like the third or fourth book i think that it happens book, yeah. Mm-hmm. Because he doesn't yeah. want to. He feels like being immortal is kind of a pain, and he doesn't want to inflict that on her. And obviously, for the sake of yeah. the book, there's some romance about their forbidden love and about the fact that, like, biologically and physically, they have some of these distances between them. It's that Romeo and Juliet story. And then if she were to turn to a vampire, it changes the story. And at the end, it did change the story. But let me tell you, I wanted more. I wanted more books with Bella's vampire. Yeah, I think that's when it got, like, really juicy. Yeah, I agree. The fourth book's my favorite. I think so, too. I think that was my favorite. Again, it's been a few years, but that was my favorite. I did laugh at the fact that, like, he got her all dressed up for the prom at the end of this book. And she was like, oh, this must mean that he's going to take me somewhere and change me into a vampire. He's like, nope, just taking you to the prom. Kidding. Yep, yep. You have to have these human experiences. Here we go. (laughs) She's like, seriously? Yeah. Like, she doesn't even dance well. Like, she's so awkward. It's just so funny that she even went, but he wanted her to have that. And she honestly probably could have cared less, but she was happy to be with him. Well, and it's such a testament. I think something else that's really cool about Bella throughout the book is, like, she's so hilariously comfortable talking to him about, like, the mechanics of being a vampire. None of it throws her off. Like, she's not as, she's not scared when he talks about, like, hunting or what it would be like right. to be changed. She's not put off by any of that. And so I think the fact that she when she's told to get dressed up, that fact that her first thought is like, oh, so this probably means that I'm going to become a vampire. Like, that's such a testament (laughs) to, like, how mentally strong she is that all of this is perfectly okay, if not, like, very welcome to her. Yeah, she was ready the whole time. She was ready for four books. Okay, I'm ready. When's it happening? Let's set a date. I'm ready. Yeah. When can we do this? And he just kept going, not yet, not yet. Let's wait, let's wait. Plenty of time, plenty of time. She's like, no, I'm fragile. I'm going to die. And he's like, no, you're not. She's, <laughs> she's like the girl that like wants to get engaged so badly and has her nails done yeah. for like a year straight, just waiting for yeah. like every time you go out to dinner, you think it's going to be the big night and it's just not, it's just dinner. So we are coming near the end of the hour, which means we have to talk team Edward versus team Jacob. And I, I think I know which way you're going to go. <laughs> And yeah. I want to hear... Is it clear? It's totally clear. It's clear, and I just, like, want you to tell me all about it. Yeah, I've been Team Edward the whole time. Okay. From the beginning. Yeah, I mean, I like Jacob. I like Jacob in the book. I definitely don't like Jacob in the movie. And only because this is a funny story, but when when the books came out, you know, I'm reading the books, and I'm Team Edward all the way, like, just something about him. I don't know if it was, you know, how old he was, and 
I love, you know, history and all of that. So I don't, I don't know if that whole romance part of him like spoke to me when he likes classical music, he, you know, all of those things. He's read like a ton of books, super smart. So I just love all that. And this, how protective he was of her. And I just found that very endearing. And then also psychotic at the same time. But when you read it the first time, you don't think about the psychoness of it. You just kind of go with it. And then, you know, Jacob was just kind of in the beginning, like we talked earlier, kind of like her annoying little brother almost, you know, like just kind of there, but nothing special. And she didn't really have a big relationship with him. Mm. But yeah, I was team Edward. And then as the books went on and he had more of a role, like New Moon is my least favorite book because Edward's barely in it. I mean, I like the story of her like I I love that Jacob was there for her and like helped her through this like super difficult time but I just I just wanted more Edward and then when the movies came out and they cast Jacob I was like they clearly knew I wouldn't give a crap because (laughs) are you kidding me shark boy shark boy with long hair (laughs) so because my sons were obsessed with shark shark boy and lava girl right and so that's all I could see when I would go to the movies and I don't know. I just, I, I wasn't a big fan, but I love him as her best friend. Mm, okay. I love him as her best friend. I think that's their perfect relationship. I didn't see them falling in love. Again. I couldn't picture Bella, you know, living in the wolf pack and all. I just, I just couldn't see it. I felt that she connected more with the vampires and that was just more her world. And yeah, I, I couldn't see her being in, you know, a wolf girl. She had to be the vampire girl. I hear all of that. I think she definitely is more a vampire girl. And I will say I was totally team Edward last time I read this book. I think part of it was just like this idea of a guy, a man in his case, like a cultured, smart, traveled man who like sees this girl who feels that she's very ordinary and realizes that she's very extraordinary Right. Despite what anybody else says or thinks and like puts all of his energy into making her life comfortable and happy and safe. Like I think last time I read this, that was that was yeah. all you had to say. I was like, great, yeah. done, wrap it up. Team Edward all day, every day. I don't remember enough about Jacob throughout the rest of the series mm-hmm. to say that I'm firmly team Jacob after reading this book, I think I will have to go back to New Moon because that's obviously yeah. like the Jacob book. It's the Jacob book, yes. But I will say that after reading this book, I am not Team Edward. So I, I don't know that I'm Team Jacob yet, but I don't think I'm Team Edward. I just found him to be like so annoying and problematic. <laughs> and again, maybe it's like 28-year-old Brooklyn girl here talking like I just he drove me crazy like I did not like that his form of flirting with her was to be like condescending like I felt like all that he did was tease her Uh and it just bothered me I get that that can be read as like banter and sure and and that is fun and cute sometimes but it just it was just too much for me and Like, I just felt like he was so rude. He was like, Bella, I've already expended a great deal of personal effort at this point to keep you alive. I'm not about to let you behind the wheel of a vehicle when you can't even walk straight. It's her freaking car, man. Like, what do you mean? What are you talking about? Yeah, well, she's clumsy. I get it. Like, because he's like, come on. I'm trying so hard to protect you, and you keep putting yourself in this, like, totally dangerous situations on purpose. Right, but then I'm like, okay, dad. an adrenaline junkie. Oh, he just. a very big job to do. <laughs> he did. I mean, that's true. And I guess, like, when I remember that he's so old, then I can be like, okay, so this, like, patriarchal, like, fatherly thing makes sense. He's a man yeah. of the world. But when I think about him as just, like, some hot dude in high school who happens to be a little bit mysterious, I'm like, who the hell do you think you are? <laughs> but that's just me. I mean, like I said, I'm not going to say I'm Team that- Jacob yet. Yeah, but see, that's the curse sometimes of reading our, you know, young adult books as adults, mm-hmm. is that we forget sometimes what it was like to read it as, you know, a younger person or for the first time, and now we're, like, reading it again, and we have all these new ideas about the world and these new views, and we, like, overanalyze everything, and, yeah. You know. And, and then it's, yeah. like, not fun anymore. Yep, and such is the story of this podcast. I'm afraid yeah. that I've ruined a lot of things for a lot of people, but I do think we've had a lot of fun along the way. So I think it's super fun. I love rereading stuff for when I was a kid, but, you know, sometimes when you reread things, you can be like, oh, God, that would not fly now. 
you know, or, oh, in light of this, I don't know how she got away with writing, whatever. But I think we have to keep it all in perspective of this was something from my childhood and it was fun and um, I really liked it. But yeah, uh, Jacob is a great best friend. Um, I think it's kind of weird at the end. Well, uh, not weird at the end, but it, it makes everything full circle because he imprints on Bella's daughter. Oh, right. That was weird. That was super weird. And so that was kind of weird. But after like reading the book and then watching all the movies again, that's why that love triangle was so intense. Mm. It's because he wasn't obsessing over Bella. He was obsessing over Bella's eggs. That's true. Oh, oh. He yep. was already mm. connected mm-hmm. to her. They just didn't know how. They were connected. Because once she had the baby, it was like she felt literally nothing for him anymore. Hmm. You know, except my friend. You know, but there was no, like, mixed emotions, no, like, do I love Jacob? Do I love Edward? Like, I was all gone. It's all biology, people, is what we're trying to say. It's all biology. So I think I know the answer to this question for you, maybe, but I ask it at the end of every episode. So I'm wondering, has this experience of rereading Twilight at this point made you love the book all the more, or has it ruined it in any way for you? Or have I ruined it? And if I did, you can tell me. It's fine. Nothing has been ruined. Great. No, nothing. Even when I wrote it the first time, people had very strong opinions about this book. And it's not like my most favorite book ever. Right. But I love YA fantasy fiction. So anything, like I said before, with werewolves and vampires and fairies and all of that, I just, I eat it up. And so, no, I I honestly think I love it more. Like, I love the cheesiness. I love the bad writing. It just, it's something that I can read just for fun. And I'm going to be reading all all the books all the way to the end. It's great escapism. I'm really glad that I got to read it. I've just done a lot of heavier reading for the podcast, like, you know, sort of more more literary stuff, more like critically acclaimed Mm -hmm. stuff. So this was really fun. I read through the whole thing in a weekend, which was like just a fun way to like devour the book. And um, like I said, I mean, there are things about it that reading it the second time just bugged me. Edward was really like kind of ruined for me. But I also think like if I'd read this on a beach somewhere, I probably wouldn't have felt that way. I probably would have enjoyed it. Unfortunately, there have been some things going on in current events lately that have made me a little grouchy. And um, Edward probably did not benefit from that. I'm just going to be honest. No, I, I, I can totally see that. I can totally see that. And yeah, I mean, every book from our childhood or from, you know, as, as our adulthood has its place. And so, you know, you just have to kind of keep it in perspective, like, well, this book came out, not that it excuses anything as we know, but keep it all in perspective. Like this is just a fun read. It's fiction, but yeah, it's hard. It's hard in the times that we're in and the things that we want to fight for to read something that is catered to teenagers that actually has these things in it that we don't agree with. Mm. So that can be very hard. Yeah, it was hard. I I loved it as a teen, and I did enjoy the experience of reading it again. Um, It was really fun and just kind of a good departure from other books and other things to listen to. Setting Twilight aside, is there anything that you've read recently or that you're reading now that you would want to recommend to our SSR listeners? Well, it's going to be YA fantasy fiction. Um, <laughs> Yay! So I just finished reading Discovery of Witches. Oh, okay. Which is oh, okay. a really good. It's about a witch and a vampire who have a forbidden love. Uh, it's really, really good. And then also, I love all the A Court of Thorn and Roses mm-hmm. series. That's uh, fairies. Amazing. So good. Um, so yeah, those are the two most recent series I've read. And then I, I, I read nonfiction things and, you know, other books on the side. But for this type of genre, definitely those two series I would read. Discovery 100%. of Witches I just, like, is really I good. did the same thing. Yeah, I just kept reading it. And now I've got the new one that just came out. And there's a movie, really I think, coming Maybe. out soon, too. Isn't there a movie? Oh, is there? I think I know so. BBC's, BBC is doing a TV show, but we don't have it in the States yet. Oh, maybe that's where it is. I'll check it out, and I'll I'll include a link, link to it in the show notes, maybe, so everybody can have the proper information so that I'm not yes. misspeaking. <laughs> yeah, but Discovery of Witches was really good. I, I couldn't put that one down. I think the second, was it the second? The second book was a little bit harder for me to get through. Sometimes when I read books, if there's a little too much detail, mm-hmm. I have to kind of 
speed it up a little bit. But Yeah, we've all been there. Well, I'll include links to all of your recommendations in the show notes as well as a link to Twilight for those who want to buy it on Amazon. I would absolutely recommend a reread. It really is fun and a good way to spend a weekend if you have some time to just like curl up with a book this fall. Definitely cozy, like flashbacks to high school vibes for me. Um, and Kelly, thank you so much for choosing the book and for coming on to talk with me about it. It was really fun. Oh, you're welcome. This was awesome. I will talk vampires all day long. Clearly, I, I might have a problem. <laughs> well, then this is the right place for you. Welcome. You found your people. <laughs> I love it. Thanks. Thanks. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind-the-scenes inside scoop, and some good old-fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast.